Welcome to the PK Experience. My name is Peter King, and I'm the host of the show. Today, we sit down with Ryan Mickler, who's the creator and founder of Order of Man, which is a podcast, a website, and just an overall movement that helps men become better men, helps them become better fathers, better husbands, better leaders in their communities. Um, I came across Ryan a couple of years ago when I was starting to get into the same central focus and I started to research and see who else was out there and what people were doing and I came across Ryan's podcast and he had just started it and since then he's frankly just taken off into the stratosphere. I mean the podcast has gotten millions of downloads. I highly recommend it if you're interested in becoming a better man. Uh, again, it's called Order of Man and um, as I got involved with uh, with with the podcast and, and listening to it and watching Ryan, you know, I reached out to him and connected. Um, he also has a paid membership called, uh, the iron council, which, you know, really gets into the day to day of how to become a better man and hold you accountable. You connect with other like minded individuals. So I got involved with that and I became a lead trainer in their, in the, um, Iron Council program for about a year. And so it's been a long time coming that I wanted to sit down and talk with Ryan and have him on the podcast and hear a little bit more about his experience and his journey. So with that, let's dive into the call. Here we are with Ryan Mickler. All right. I am here with Ryan Mickler, the founder and creator of Order of Man. Thank you, Ryan, for taking the time today. I know you're a busy guy. I am, but I'm glad to be here, man. Yeah, well, dude, yeah, I've been wanting to interview you for quite a while and uh, just have a ton of respect for you. Just first and foremost, thank you for your service. You are a uh, veteran, yes? You uh, served in uh, over in Iraq, is that right? Yeah, I, I, joined the, uh, I joined the National Guard when I was in high school, so I was doing the, the one weekend a month, two weeks a year type thing, uh, which was good. And then in 2003... Our National Guard unit was activated, and we ended up not going to Iraq. A week before we were supposed to leave, they said, no, you're going to Fort Lewis, which is in uh, Washington State, to train ROTC cadets. So we came back from that deployment, which wasn't really a deployment. It was just summer up there watching the Seahawks and the Mariners play baseball and football. Uh, And we came back, got into civilian life, got doing the thing again, and then in 2000. Five, 2004, the end of 2004, we got activated again and 2005 we left. So I was gone. I was married for, I don't know, we were married for three or four months when I found out we were activated and then I left for a year and a half wow, that's, that's, and, and I was in Iraq at that time. That throws you right into the, the, the testing the, the relationship right out of the gate. Yeah. Which, which was kind yeah. of, uh, kind of in a way sort of why we're here. Is it not? I mean, um, I, you know, I, I had the privilege, of course, of knowing a little bit about your background, but uh, for the listeners who don't know you just yet, why don't you tell them very briefly what Order of Man is, and then we'll, I'll follow up with the relationship thing in a second. Yeah, of course. So Order of Man is a, man, a brotherhood, a fraternity, organization, movement, whatever you want to call it. At the end of the day, my goal is to help lift men up. You know, if that's if that's lifting them up in their marriages, their businesses, their communities for themselves, that's what we're trying to do. So we're giving tools, resources, guidance, direction, focus, brotherhood, accountability, all the stuff they need to be successful uh, through the podcast, blog, mastermind programs we run. But at the end of the day, you know, I I wanted to be a better man. I still want to be a better man. I'm always looking to improve just like you are. And this movement, which I started about three and a half years ago, was really the catalyst for growth and change in my life. And obviously, it's happened to spill over into hundreds of thousands of men across the planet. It's cool. Yeah. It's a really cool thing to be part of. Oh, dude, it's been fascinating to be uh, to you know play a small role in it myself and 
and to see the growth uh, in such a relative short period of time. But before we get yeah. into that, um, to, to share with people sort of what the tipping point was for you, why you sort of had that, uh, you know, come to Jesus point in your life where you, the relationship breakdown and, and how that sort of spurred your growth. Yeah. You know, that's my wife and I, we, we, I remember getting into an argument one evening and I wish I could remember what the argument was about. It's irrelevant at this point, but it would just be interesting to know what it is we were arguing about. And it was, it was not the argument itself. It was years and years of frustration and contention and bitterness and distance, complacency, I'm sure in the marriage as well. And I remember saying, I don't even want to be married anymore. And she agreed that evening. I left the next day to do some training in northern Utah, which is about four hours north of where I'm at. And you had kids at this point, right? We had one. Okay. We had one little little boy, my oldest. And uh, I, I, I just thought to myself, man, what are you doing? You know, you're driving up here for this training. Your marriage is falling apart. Your business isn't really going all that well. The, the woman that you love with your child is leaving. What are you doing? So I actually turned around. I got about an hour or so into my drive and turned around and tried to convince her to stay. And by then it was just too late, too little, too late. And, and she left. And for months and months, I was, man, I was in a really dark place. If anybody's gone through a separation or a divorce, they know exactly what that's like. Uh, I, I blamed her, you know, how could she do this to me? Why was she disloyal? Why wasn't she doing the things that, you know, quote unquote, a good wife should do? And, uh, it was a dark time, really dark time in my life, but I, I don't know why necessarily. I don't know what the catalyst for change. I, I guess the one thing that kind of clicked in my mind was I remember driving down the road. I remember the road I was on. I remember the cross street I was on. And I thought to myself, you know, Ryan, this marriage is over. Like it, it had been, I don't know, three, four months at that point. I, and I thought to myself, cause everybody was saying like, it's over, just move on. You got to get over this. And, and in my heart, I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I didn't feel like it was ready. I remember literally being in an empty room, which was my son's room, crying to this picture of my boy, telling him how I was going to win him back into my life. And I couldn't just throw in the towel. I didn't feel like that was the right thing to do. But I got to this place where I'm like, you know, there's nothing I can do about her. Like she's whatever, for whatever reason, this marriage is over. And so I'm just going to work on me. You know, I, I remember thinking, uh, this, this thing may, may be done, but I'm going to be the best catch for the next woman to come into my life. And at that point, I really started to work on myself. What was fascinating about that is when I started to work on myself, and we could talk about what specifically that actually means, it was like flipping a switch on the wall. I mean, she responded to that. And through months and months of working together and having conversations and a little bit of therapy together and individually as well, uh, we, we made things work, you know, we, we're celebrating our 14th year, wed, our wedding anniversary this year. Uh, we've got four kids. Uh, things are good. We still argue from time to time. She's stubborn as I'll get out. I'm stubborn as I'll get out. So of course we butt heads from time to time, but we know how to handle it right. and we know how to take care of ourselves individually. Oh, that's great, man. I, you know, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it seems to be the relationships is, is one of the biggest pain points for a lot of men in our culture today, in our society today, what do you see as um, the need for, you know, why do we need to, to restore, have a, a, a cause or a movement for men? What's missing? What's, what's broken in your mind? Um, why the need for all of this? Uh, well, men are broken, quite, quite frankly. I mean, you look around at the rate of fatherless homes and you'll begin to see some of the problems. Uh, that's, that's the underlying trend with 
I don't know if majority is the right word, but with a large percentage of the men who are who belong to this movement is growing up without father figures. Even if dad was in the house, he wasn't really all that present or a great example of what a man, a man needs to be. And this epidemic of fatherless homes and boys being raised without fathers is really creating some serious problems. When you look at the statistics for boys who are growing up without fathers, you see crime rates go up, you see violence go up, you see depression go up, you see uh, arrest go up, you see school dropout rates go up, you see suicide go up when a father is not present. And so that leads me to believe, and I think any rational human being to believe that there's probably a connection between father and son. And when that connection's not there, you take this raw masculine energy that all of us as men possess and you let it out in destructive ways. But when you have a, a, a man, a male who's present in another man's or young boy's life and he's teaching them how to harness that masculine energy for productive and constructive outcomes, society is going to be in a much better place. We hear these things like toxic masculinity, which I, I know what people are saying when they use that term. Right. It's it's not it's not a, it's not the correct term. It's not and and the underlying root I think of that belief is that men in, are inherently bad. I don't believe that's true at all. I, I rather than saying toxic masculinity, I would say the more accurate description would be undeveloped masculinity, 100%. right? So we have these chemicals and hormones, testosterone being among the highest of those things running through our, our veins and they're causing us to believe and think and behave and act a certain way. Uh, you wouldn't call, if you were, I, I used this analogy the other day and it's a pretty good analogy, I think is if you were baking a cake, you wouldn't take the raw ingredients of that cake and say they're toxic just because you haven't made the cake yet, right? Like you wouldn't say the eggs and the flour and the sugar and the whatever that goes into the cake is toxic. You would just say, no, it's undeveloped. We need to mold and shape and add them in the right time and the right ingredients and the right amounts. And therefore we have this cake that we baked. Yes. I know that's a little bit of a simplistic way to look at it, but it's the same thing with boys that they're, they're aggressive. They're, they're angry. They have physical strength. They have all of this, which are not bad traits. We just need to harness those things. And so we have grown men, to come back to your question, I'm trying to bring this full circle, who never learned how to behave that way, yeah. who never took those raw ingredients and, and, and put them into constructive outlets to create positive benefits for themselves and their families, their communities. And so, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's a problem. But not only are they not being shown it, but they're actually being penalized for doing it. And that's the thing that just breaks my heart sometimes is I see these young boys who are natural, they're just being boys and they're right. being, you know, they're rough and tumble or they'll, you know, wrestle around and they're being reprimanded for it. You know, we don't hit and we don't, which of course we're not advocating for violence or, or hitting or whatever, but there's nobody there to understand that boy's nature, to understand that he has that inner fire yeah. that needs to be channeled in a way. So I'll give you a great example if I can of that. Yeah. This morning, my my boys, uh, my oldest son was laughing and I could tell by the way he was laughing. It was like he had done something he knew he probably shouldn't have done, right? right. And uh, he, was, he was being mischievous. And my second son was in there just screaming and like, I hate you and just yelling. I'm like, what is going on? So I go into their room and mom's in the room and I said, hon, let me, let me take care of this. Let me handle this. 
it's the two boys. All right. So I walk in there. I'd say, tell me what happened. And my youngest son, he's like, he, or no, my oldest was like, he kicked me in the balls. <laughs> and then my youngest was like, well, he punched me as hard as he could in the back. I'm like, okay, here we go. So, so my solution wasn't to punish them, you know, like, like they handled it incorrectly. It sounds like, but my solution was, all right, let's talk to the younger son first, dude, if you're going to hit be prepared that there's going to be a consequence of that. Like, yeah. so, like he's going to hit you back. And for you to believe that you're not going to be hit back is absolutely ridiculous. So if you want to fight, be prepared for a fight. Good. You're ready. You're done now. Good. Now uh, let me mask old my, my older son. So I put my older son and my younger son back to back. And I said, look how big you are, dude. If you're in a real fight, I encourage you to use that size and that strength to your advantage. This is not a real fight. This is team Mickler. We're on the same team. You've got to understand some restraint. Yes, you can use strength and all, but there's got to be some level of wisdom and and restraint when it comes to handling these situations. So it wasn't like scolding them for fighting. It was let's think about how we can use this thought process to produce better outcomes next time. Yeah, you're almost not even talking about the the, the physical side of it at all and really addressing the, the thought process and the, the where. Well, right, because if somebody – like here's the deal. If my younger son goes to school and somebody punches him, yeah, I want him to fight back. Like that, that would be in certain cases – not every case, but in certain cases, the right response. Yeah. And just like you said earlier, I mean, he'll get in trouble, right? He'll get expelled even potentially or sued if another kid gets hurt. Heaven forbid he punches another kid back who pushed him or whatever it may be. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. It really is. Yeah, our culture has has shifted and, and in a lot of ways, you know, it's funny because uh, at least from my perspective, I see a lot of feminization in our culture, which in and of itself isn't necessarily – a bad or wrong thing, but I'll talk to other people and they'll say, what are you talking about? It's overly masculine. And, and, you know, I'll talk to them like, what do you mean? And they'll say, well, look at the, you know, you can point to our president, you can point to various people, uh, you know, in, in Hollywood or whatever, where there's this quote unquote, this goes back to the the whole toxic masculinity thing where there's too much masculinity. And I think the problem that some people fall into is, femininity balances out masculinity. And I, I love what you said earlier about underdeveloped masculinity because you can have perfect femininity, but if you have underdeveloped masculinity, you still have underdeveloped masculinity. It's not right. balanced out by you know the proper feminine. So you, you hear a lot of times people say like, well, love, love trumps hate. You know, we, just, we need more love. We need more love. And I'm like, love alone isn't the answer. You, you got to have some love with backbone. If you don't have backbone to, yeah. you know, to, to protect and, and, you know, structure that love, then it's just, you're going to be a, you're going to be the you know, punching bag. There's a great analogy. I heard one of my buddies said at one time, he said, you know, uh, you take, we, we are, I, my background is financial planning and people would talk about averages all the time. Oh, you just use the average, use the average, use the average. And I said, the problem with averages is it doesn't paint the, the, the entire picture. And it's the same thing with masculinity and femininity. If we want averages, what you could essentially say is if you put, if you lay a guy down, lay it, lay an individual down and you put his feet into a blazing hot oven and you put his upper body into a freezing bucket of ice, well, on average, the temperature is going to be just about right. That doesn't say that guy is very comfortable in that position, right? right? right. So the point that I'm making is we don't want average necessarily femininity and masculinity. That doesn't make sense because sometimes more masculine energy is the exact right response. War, for example, 
masculine energy. And I'm not saying that women can't possess masculine energy or vice versa. But I am saying that sometimes the quote unquote masculine response is the correct response. And sometimes the quote unquote feminine response is the correct response. It's not about averages. It's about using the the things that are good in femininity and the things that are good in masculinity and using those tools in a way that's going to, again, produce the productive outcome for that particular situation. Right. Right. hundred percent. Um, how, do you, uh, I actually haven't heard you speak to this at all, but do you agree that there is, that there's feminine quote unquote feminine energy in men as well? You know, feminine qualities, nurturing, empathy, yeah. uh, compassion, et cetera. Um, is that something that I, I don't think I've come across that I, I could be wrong and I haven't gone through all your stuff, but is that something that you actively, uh, teach or talk about as well? You know, I haven't talked a whole lot about it. I have mentioned it and I think it's something I need to delve in a little bit more. But when we talk about feminine and masculine energy, a lot of people think it's just like woo woo thing up in space. It's right. not, right. it's chemicals. Right. I mean, it's literally a chemical reaction in our body. So what most people know is estrogen and testosterone, right? Testosterone being the masculine chemical or hormone. And then you have estrogen being the feminine or female hormone, chemical, whatever you want to call it. Well, both sexes produce both chemicals. Mm -hmm. They're just in varying degrees. So for exactly the right reason, women are naturally going to be more uh, empathetic, more compassionate, more kind, more nurturing, more loving. And people always say, well, some, I know some women who are stronger than men. Well, that's great. What you're doing is you're taking the outlier or the exception and you're applying that to everybody. Generally speaking, this is how women are going to behave. It's not socially programmed. There may be some of that. It's not something that can just be changed or if I just think differently about it. It's a chemical reaction and women are designed by nature to be nurturing. You just take the, the child bearing and the child birthing process and it's pretty evident to see why that would be the case. Yeah. And men, generally speaking, are going to be bigger, stronger, faster, aggressive, more dominant, more uh, territorial. Why? Because evolutionarily, uh, it's always been in our nature to protect the tribe, to provide for the women and children, and to do the things that men do. Yeah. That hasn't changed. No, and I, I think one of the best uh, evidences of that is even in, the, uh, even in homosexual communities, men are still behaving like men. The sex drive in homosexual communities is far different than the sex drive in lesbian communities. And, you know, so this isn't about... Um, you know, there's, there's so much talk today about gender fluidity and which I'm sure you love to talk about, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, uh, one of the things that I think you do that's very effective and I think really is needed is the simplicity of the approach that, and the clarity that you're bringing to the table and saying, look, there are some things that are just like, of course there's the outlier examples, but there are some things that are just, can, can we just build off of these basic ideas that men are a little bit, you know, they're more, uh, compartmentalized. They're more, you know, di, di, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Focused. They have a, you know, greater, uh, uh capacity to lead perhaps. Right. Uh, sure. No, that and there's no, wrong. there's gonna be pushback on that. I didn't mean that. Exactly. There is, but it's, but it's true. Like I'll yeah. say it. If you, if you're, if you can't say it, cause you think the put, I'll say it. Men have a greater capacity to lead. Now somebody will say, Oh, but women can lead. Certainly. Yeah. 
Certainly they can, but men by nature are more decisive. We're more aggressive. We're, we're, it's just the way it is. You can fight against that, but it's truth. Leadership in and of itself though, is something where I could look at and I could say, well, Sometimes we need to lead with love. Sometimes we need to lead with compassion. Sometimes we need to lead with that. Now I agree with you. You know, we can get into semantics a little bit and, and get off. That's why I kind of pulled back a little bit on the whole leadership thing. <laughs> but, um, I do think that in our society today, you know, part of what you're trying to do, if I understand it correctly, is restoration of of the truer ideal of a masculine uh, man, right? But at the same time, especially women, obviously, over the last several decades, have evolved into something very different than where they were, say, 50 years ago. How do you envisualize, like, how do you envision today's man and woman relating? Because women are not where they were 50 years ago, and men have kind of lost their way. How, what's the ideal look like to you? That's a really interesting question because it has changed. And, and yeah, women, if you look at the rates of women stepping up in the workforce and stepping out of the house, it's, it's significantly higher than it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. And I, I think that's a great thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Uh, in, in my family, we happen to operate in a more what you would consider a traditional way of operating. I, I earn the income. I go out into the workforce. I do what I do. And my wife adds just as much, if not more, to the relationship, but she's not out providing and bringing home the bacon, if you will. She's she's a homemaker. She's taking care of the house. She's taking care of the children. That's her responsibility and her role based on the discussions that we've had. Uh, so is there an ideal? Mm, no, I, I don't I don't know that there's an ideal. If, if the woman is out in the workforce, uh, I, I believe that could probably create and has the potential to create more animosity than if the man is out in the workforce. Uh, I, I truly believe that if a man isn't protecting, providing, and presiding, if he feels like he's not doing those three things, he knows that he's living a life less than he's capable of or meant to. And I think that has the potential to create a lot of animosity in the relationship. Yeah, that said, that. if the if the dynamic works, great. Uh, that's fine. Do what it do whatever works for you. You know, it's interesting is I see that dynamic often. I see a lot of very empowered, a lot of uh, very strong, ambitious women. And I see a lot of uh, men either in their lives or, or the relationships in their lives that are, uh, you know, slightly more passive. They're following her lead a little bit more, which, again, I'm also an advocate for. Like, hey, that, that works for you, go for it, right? But I see often that that dynamic uh, leads to a lot of misery. <laughs> I see a lot of women who are kicking ass in the workplace and then they're just empty when it comes to actually relating. You know, they, they come home, they're like, I want to be a woman. Like, I want to be protected. I want to have that feeling of, of, uh, masculine presence, you know, and same for the men. men like, obviously we deal with it all day. You deal with it all day for sure. Where men are going, yeah, I can do these things, but like, I don't, there's no fire in me. There's no, I right. feel no right. sense of purpose, you know? I think what's happening is we're, we're looking at a vocal minority in women and men. We're looking at women who generally have more of a masculine traits and characteristics where they're entering the workforce. Jordan Peterson talks about this and I know you're familiar with his work and he talks about uh, generally men are more disagreeable and some of these things that help them to be more competitive in the workspace. There's certainly women who have the capacity to do that and do very, very well and are fully capable of doing that. Uh, but I think what we're doing is we're taking the minority of women, in my experience, the minority of women and applying that as a broad spectrum. Like any woman can do this. Well, not every woman wants to. Right. 
right? Or any man can stay at home and raise the kids and take it house. That's probably true. Not every man wants to. And, and so it's just an interesting dynamic. And, and I think if that's the case, if you have a woman, for example, who is, who is more, uh, masculine in the way that she approaches maybe the workforce and some of these things, then it's probably going to be a difficult relationship. If you have a man who also exhibits those same characteristics, yeah. we, we, we offset each other. We complement each other. Well, the compliment and it's is, a good thing. It's so true. I, you know, there's no escaping this. Work needs to be done to provide and make money if you're living in a modern way. And work needs to be done at home to keep, you know, quote unquote, the nest clean and and a proper environment to raise your children. So yeah. it doesn't matter which way you slice it, but all of that needs to get done. I can tell you as, as a single dad now for the last three years, it's a ton of work to like sweep up and oh, do no doubt. dishes and all that. I, and I and be it. the mediator <laughs> and the driver of kids and signing them up for stuff. No doubt. Like it's I have no – my wife does more as a homemaker yeah. than she would probably ever do out in the workforce. Yeah. And she gets paid obviously significantly less yeah. for doing significantly more. I'm not, I'm not down. And this is where people try to catch me. It's like, Oh, well you don't think women are important. It's like, who, who said that raising a family and that, and that being the homemaker and the, and the queen of the home isn't noble work, isn't equivalent to what any man would do out in the workforce. Like, where do you get that idea? I've never thought that. I think yeah. some of the most noble work that women can do is to raise their children in love and compassion and kindness and toughness and boldness and, and make the house a home. I think that is honorable and noble work. And quite honestly, I get a little frustrated when I hear women who downplay the importance of that role in society. It's yeah. really frustrating. Yeah, 100%. I agree. My my mother uh, played that role for us. And yeah, it's a 24-7, often thankless job. Um, Absolutely. So on that note, um, what do you, for the, for the women that are listening who have uh, children, and specifically for sons, what can mothers do to be better mothers for their son to raise a man and not necessarily... Um, send him down a path that is not serving him in the long run. Well, there's a couple of different angles here. So I think first and foremost is, is be, be a beautiful woman. And, and I'm not talking about just physical beauty. I'm talking about inside and, and, and the way that you handle situations and the way that you love and nurture and care and, and provide that safe environment for your daughters and for your sons. We all need that stuff. I think that's number one. Use that feminine energy and show a young man what a woman looks like and how she behaves and how she carries herself and how lovely she is. Use that energy. That's number one. Number two, and I got to splice this up into two different angles as well. If you have a mother who has, who, who is married and a father's in the home and, and, and you have like the traditional family type role, please just allow the father to be the father. You're never going to understand him. All right. And he's never going to fully understand you. It isn't a requirement that you fully understand each other to give each other the authority to play that role, right? Like I don't have to fully understand why my wife feels the need to coddle and pick up and kiss every little boo-boo on my children's knees or elbows when they get scraped up. I don't have to fully understand that to appreciate that. She doesn't need to fully understand my need or my desire to say, get up, son. 
Nobody's going to wipe you off or clean up your cuts. Get up and get back in it. Mm. She doesn't need to understand that to appreciate. So what men and women need to do is not necessarily understand each other, but just appreciate the fact that we bring a different dynamic to the, to the table in the equation. 100%. Let the dad be a dad. Yeah. Now, that being said, if a woman has, does not, a mother does not have a, a, a husband or there's no father figure in a young man's life, which was much of my situation as I grew up. My mom raised me primarily on her own, my, me and my sister. So no real male role model in the house. And when there was, they weren't great examples. But she had enough insight and thought to realize that my son needs some masculine energy needs some masculine examples. So she got me involved in, in Boy Scouts and she got me involved in competitive sports. So between, between those two outlets, Boy Scouts, competitive sports, I got a lot of examples. I got a lot of insight. I got a lot of experience and, and confrontations and all of the things that men bring to the equation. I got that again in Boy Scouts and sports. So my answer to that is if there's a, a woman who's listening, who has Boys in particular, where a father figure isn't present, you've got to get them around other father figures, coaches, mentors, guides, big brothers, those type of things. It's really, really important. My, yeah. my mom had enough insight on that to make sure I was involved that way. No doubt. I, I think that's a, a crucial missing piece for a lot of young boys' lives. You know, this is another thing, too, is not only father figures, but, um, you know, when, when we were younger, um, we had visions of heroes. Like, if you looked at... If you looked at the the shows that we used to watch, the movies that we used to watch, the toys that we used to play with, it was very often you know good good versus evil. It was you know stepping up. I I, I should have uh, should have pulled this to share with uh, you specifically quote it, but there was um, I was looking at Netflix one time not too long ago, and they had the old school Transformers, which I don't know if you were oh, Transformers yeah. as a kid. Of course, yeah. So, uh, so there was one. And I read the I read the the description of the one episode, and it was like you know Optimus Prime rises up to fight evil and blah blah blah, and uh, went to save so and so, sacrificed himself. Talked about sacrifice and 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 fighting back and standing up against evil, whatever. And then there's a new Transformers called like Transformer Bots or something like that. And it was these mm. little baby Transformers, and the episode was basically how the the robots took in a baby robot and how that I was just like it's such a different <laughs> narrative my and, little pony robots or yeah, something it was like look <laughs> i'm not here to necessarily make that wrong but where is the balance like where is the hero you go into a store today and and with all the star wars craze where's the hero there's darth vader toys there's stormtrooper toys there's sith toys you know, there is some, I mean, there's heroin toys, which is cool. I have a daughter. I'm all for that. Like, cool. Go get the Ray, you know, lightsaber, whatever the hell. But like, where is the, uh, hero for the boys? It's just not there. I, I don't see it. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, I can definitely, you know, I think there's this really interesting trend in society that, that toys and these type of things need to be gender, gender neutral, yeah. but the problem is, is little boys and little girls, for the most part, again, you're going to find an example of an outlier, but for the most part, boys want to play with boy toys and girls want to play with girls toys. Like, like my boys want to play with Legos and GI Joes. My daughter has no interest or desire in that whatsoever. She wants to play with Barbies and dolls and, and she has a little tea set that she likes to do that. That's what she, I, I didn't teach her that. My wife didn't teach her that. Yeah. She's just more interested in that. Yeah. So 
it's funny because we, we, we say that these are socially conditioned. And so the answer is to socially condition them out of it. It's like if, if you okay. truly believe okay. that this is social conditioning, what makes you believe your conditioning is better than hundreds of years of quote unquote, what you would call conditioning. It's right. not conditioning. Right. Well, and you can look at any sort of society and culture and community and you're going to still see, you could take a, you know, an African tribe that lives in the jungle and you're still going to see those masculine feminine division, you know, you get hunters and you gatherers. So of course um, it's yeah. it, because it's, it's nature. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's the way we, 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 we operate. Well, to me, like, honestly, I just, I pointed, you can always point it back to biology. Just physical, but simple biology, like you were saying before. Men are stronger. Women are designed to open up. And women are designed to, you know, to nurture the seed. Like it's biology. It's not conditioning. It's biology. And it's and it's and the cool thing about that is it's it's okay. Yeah. Exactly. Like I, I, wrong with it. Right. And I think a lot of society has made it out to be bad. Like, oh, well, women have to be subservient. No, it doesn't mean that she has to be subservient just because she happens to be the nurturing one of the relationship. And it doesn't mean that a man can't be that either. It just, it, again, it's it's science. Like there, there's data. This this debate has been settled long ago. This is, this is not a, a relevant or credible debate anymore. It's been settled. Yeah. So anyways. Uh, so I, I have a little bit of a different question. You, uh, you know, as I watched you, I, I came across you a handful of years ago because I was looking at who else was in this space because I was wanting to kind of get in this space a little bit more myself. Sure. Yeah. Um, I did a, a men's retreat with a handful of guys and, and went out. We, you know, I partnered up with some ex special ops guys and we did this four day thing. And I knew that I wanted sort of that warrior spirit in this whole thing. Um, and then I came across you and then you just went, you know, to the stratosphere. I think you've got, how many downloads do you have on the podcast now? Oh, million. I think we're nearing 10 million at this point. Oh my God. That's amazing. So yeah, like just have done incredible. And it, it, you know, truthfully, I was a little pissed because I was like, damn, what, you know, what are you doing that I'm missing? (laughs) I feel the same way about other people. So it's, it's something that never goes away, man. Like if you have 10 million downloads, you want 20 million. If you have 20, you want 200. So yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, I sort of, uh, you know, I, I took a little piece of humble pie and I'm like, all right, what, what is Ryan doing that I'm not? What am I missing? And I, what I really discovered was that you, um, you are that warrior. I mean, you literally are a warrior. You, you battled uh, overseas for us. Uh, and, uh, but not only that, but you look the part. Like, you know, I don't know if people know who, what you look like. They're probably just listening right now, but you've got the, the ZZ Top beard, you know. <laughs> So you've got the, the warrior look. You also have the warrior voice. Like I noticed that you speak very um, – what's the word I'm looking for? It's very clear, very concise, very to the point. There's not a lot of ambiguity. Um, and I realized with a lot of my approach, or at least what's natural to me where, where I feel more gifted is more in the nuance. It's more on the edges a little bit. It's more in the, the spiritual realm. It's more in the um, intellectual space. And, and so I'm like, you know what? I really need to spend more time – around this kind of energy, which is part of the reason why I joined uh, Iron Council, which for those who don't know, Iron Council is Ryan's paid membership where you really start to dive into full accountability and, and connect with other men who are you know, in active pursuit of, uh, of bettering themselves. Um, but uh, I recognize that you really had that warrior energy. So this is a very long way to get to my question. My, I'm not 
there's that warrior in me. Like I compete. I've been. I played competitive sports. You know, I don't like to lose. I want to. You know, take action and, and kick ass and all that. But there are other natural gifts in me that are more intellectual. They're more ethereal. Whatever. And I also look at my son, and and he's not. He's not into sports. He's not into that. So how do you? What message do you have for young boys and also men who are not that typical warrior type? Do you have any any thoughts on that? I, I just say own it. I mean own it. Look, look here's the deal. Look, look in this space. Okay, we'll just call this like masculine space or whatever for a minute. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you three examples of men who I think w- are not your typical or not not even close to the warrior type spirit. You introduced me to that book, by the way, the Warrior King, Magician Lover. I think yep. it's called. Yep. Um, let's let's take three examples that are not the warrior, who are very successful, by the way. Number one, Aubrey Marcus with on it. He's not the warrior mentality. He has some warrior-like mentality, but he is definitely more spiritual in the way that he approaches his work and his message and the things that he's talking about. He's competitive. He's edgy. He's strong. He's physically fit, but he's very spiritually oriented, and he's been very, very successful. That's one. Take another guy, uh, Jordan Peterson. Definitely not a warrior, right? No no one would ever confuse him with a warrior, but very intellectual, Right. Very intelligent. When he talks and communicates, he's almost the way that he talks is almost like he's thinking out loud. Yes. And you could actually hear and see the wheels turning about how he's thinking about life and the way that we approach life and what it means to be a man and a woman and a human being. It's, it's really fascinating to watch him. Very, very successful. Uh, let's take another one, Lewis Howes, which I'm sure a lot of people are, are familiar with. He is somebody I would consider probably more either the spiritual or more of a lover yep. archetype, yep. right? Very open, in touch with that feminine energy, has a lot of female guests on his podcast, in fact, because I think there's some resonation there. Yep. There's no doubt these three guys are men. Yep. There's no doubt that these guys are successful in in their certain in their uh, respective endeavors. And yet all three of them take a completely and a varied approach. Uh, another one I think of uh, that actually has has quite a few dynamics is Joe Rogan. Totally. To me, he's somebody who's very well-rounded. Yes. Got the warrior. He is literally a warrior because that's his he, – he grew up in martial arts. He's also very spiritual. Yep. He's obviously intelligent. Like he, he he's very well-rounded. Then you have a guy like Jocko Willink is heavily weighted towards the warrior side. But what's interesting, he's also an intellect. I mean, he's got an English degree. Mm. So, so I say that the answer to your question, it, you had a long question, I had a long answer, <laughs> is, uh, <coughs> is just own it. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like Jocko or Jordan or, or Lewis or Aubrey. You don't have to be like those guys. Be yourself, own that, step into that, and realize that there's other people like you, men and women like you, who will resonate with you. And frankly, there's a lot of people who don't like me. <laughs> they, they think I'm an asshole. They think I'm too abrasive. Uh, they think I'm too, I, this is one I hear all the time. I'm too black and white. I'm judgmental. They think all of that, which is fine. They're not going to resonate with the way I am because it's the way I am, yeah. but they may resonate more with you or somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to, uh, just to make, sure that it's clear. So the book that Ryan was referencing that we had talked about earlier was uh, King Warrior, Magician, Lover. It's the four archetypes of the mature masculine. That book for me was very helpful to understand some some of my innate um, gifts because I was comparing myself to warriors. I've always looked up to, my grandfather used to, you know, tell me stories about uh, World War II and, and just, you know, how, how the 
sacrifice that men made and and had this um, reverence for um, military veterans. And so I grew up sort of with uh, a fond respect for a lot of military veterans. So I, I kind of always compared myself to that. And I always felt less than because I didn't have that, that sort of, you know, wh- whatever you want to define it as. But that book really helped me understand that uh, – and take Jordan Peterson, for example – does he look the warrior type? Not in the traditional sense, but in in the battleground of ideas, he's a fucking warrior. Like no doubt, you know, and he no he does not back down at all. So there's a different type of warrior in the intellectual space. It helped me kind of better understand. Oh, and then not only that, but truthfully, and, and I hope you, I owe you a deep uh, sense of gratitude for this. Being in the Iron Council, I had the pleasure of, of leading, you know, being one of the team leaders for a little while and being around, you know, you've naturally attracted a lot of other warrior type guys. But um, what's been really eye opening for me and very humbling for me is a lot of that warrior guys started to turn to me because they go, you explain things in ways that I don't that I can't articulate yet. I didn't mm. I, I felt it, but I didn't know how to articulate it. And you gave me words to something like that to me was was very powerful and was it allowed me to see, oh, here's my here's my foothold and here's my position in this broader movement of helping men rise up. Um, and I also realized, just for feedback for you too, like that warrior archetype is very attractive to a lot of men because we want to be seen as the hero. It's also like that hero archetype. But, <clears throat> but the magician archetype, which is the one that I really sort of am more in alignment with, is often the second conversation. So you've attracted a lot of men who, who want to have that first conversation. How do I get better? How do I be a, a better husband, better father, better leader, et cetera? Um, but a lot of times they'll, they'll hit a brick wall and they'll go, you know, what am I missing? And then I'll, I'm that second conversation that then comes in and goes, you're conflicted. Dude, you're pulling this way and this way. Or do you realize yeah. that you, you know, you're missing your wife here or whatever? And a lot of it's very relationship stuff because that warrior archetype seems to have – more troubles with relationships because relationships are black and white, you know? Well, and that's, I mean, and that's the thing you've, you've got to appreciate it all. Cause I look at somebody and says, I get this stuff all the time. Like, how do I, how do I tell my wife I love her? I, you tell her you love her. <laughs> well, but like how I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand your question. Like you, you answered the, and yet you can hear that and hear something entirely different totally. or somebody will say, Oh, like how do I, how do I be more motivated to go to the gym? I'm like, dude, make a damn decision and go to the gym. Yeah. It's, I, I don't, I don't understand. I, I can't understand why that's a, di- I understand not doing it cause not all of us are motivated at the time and it's hard and things like that, but I don't understand how you could need to go any deeper into that question. Which see that to me <laughs> is the perfect warrior response. And here's right. the other thing. If even though I'm more even though I'm more innately gifted, say if you will, in the magician archetype, like there still is that warrior in me. So I need that voice, and and so that's one of the reasons why I, I you know want to stay connected with you and, and what have you because I need that voice. I need that. Sure. Don't be an idiot. Like roll up <laughs> your you know sleeves and take action. Don't you right. know, like just the fire in the ass kind of thing. So and that's the message too that I want a lot of other men to understand is we're all all of it. Like there's, you're probably born yes. with one little advantage, you know, the universe, God, whoever might have was like, let, let, let's give this guy a little bit of advantage in this one area, but he's all of it, you sure. know? So when, if, if you're not the typical warrior archetype and you listen to Ryan's podcast, let that inspire you, let that inspire the warrior within you to, to stop being so indecisive and, and take action, which this leads me to my next question. Cause I, I know we're getting relatively. Can I say on one other thing about that too, yeah. before you get to that question is 
yes, it's all within you, but you can also decide to behave the way you want to behave too, right? Like that's the beautiful thing about being a human being. It's called consciousness. Ah, did I lose you again? Hello, hello. I think I lost you again. Hello. Okay. Uh, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Uh, yep, yep. Okay, I'll just start. I think I said it's it's a, it's called consciousness. Yes. I think was the last thing. Okay. Yes. It's consciousness. It's being aware of who you are in time and in space, and you can then decide who you want to be moving forward. So if at any given time you're having a hard time being quote-unquote motivated about it, you can simply decide that I don't need motivation. I just need to be disciplined. You have the capacity to, to be that because you are conscious. You are a human being. Yeah. Our brains are developed to the point where we can decide that way. So yeah, you you get to decide to what degree and what response – is necessary in certain environments and experiences and situations. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the question I wanted to ask you about just deciding, taking action, whatever is in your book. I was so uh, inspired and I respect the hell out of you for, you know, it's just the whole process that, that you went through to write your book. And now you have a tangible book that's out there. And, you know, I was watching you going through that and cause you were giving updates on, on the order man, you know, Facebook group and things like that. Um, I battle sometimes with the whole perfectionism thing, but you seem to just be able to sit down and knock this thing out. Is there a part of you that goes, there's a much better version of this in me? Like what, what allowed you to kind oh, of hundred percent. Okay. So when you were writing it out, did you just sit down and execute and write out and was like, well, there it is. Or, yeah, I mean, I, I look at that book at times and I'm like, you know, I could have written a, a much more technical book or a much more intentional or deliberate or thought out book. Uh, a much more researched book, well-written book. And, and maybe I will. I don't know. But the point was not to have it be flawless. The point was to change men's lives. Yeah. And the longer I waited and waited and waited until I could get it perfect and researched and this and that and search, sure, it's got to be credible, of course. But the longer I waited, the more I realized that I would never put the book out. So I've been thinking about writing that book for years, like two years or longer maybe even. And I kept saying, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Like I said, I'm going to do it. So I had this goal in 90 days to have a book written. And I had a little bit, maybe five, 6,000 words or so. But I wrote 64, 63, somewhere right in there, 63, 64,000 words in 60 days. And once I committed to the process and the outcome after 90 days – it was much easier for me to sit down every day and crank out a minimum of 1,000 words. That was my goal. Now I'll say I, I didn't hit it every day, but I made up for it the following day, which is why I was able to do 64,000 words in 60 days. Mm -hmm. uh, it, is I finally just made the commitment. I shortened the time frame. I didn't give myself an excuse or an out that, oh, it's not well. Re oh, no. It's, it, no. My goal is 90 days. <laughs> got to be fully written, manuscript done in 60 days because I got to get this thing out here. And I started collapsing and over, overlapping and stacking some of the process as well, which is why I was sharing the progress with Order of Man and with everybody else is not only because I wanted to inspire other people who have a book in them, that's part of it, but also because I wanted to market it as I was writing it. <laughs> I wanted to build up hype for it yeah. so people would want to buy it 
right when it came out since my time frame was so shortened. So yeah, I mean, I just got serious essentially. And yeah, I, I, again, I could have written a a much better book. I I could have put out a a much better podcast. My, my website could have been much better and people will correct me occasionally on my grammar, on my Instagram posts. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I spelled that word wrong. So what does that, does that take away from the message? Maybe if that's what you're so focused on, but I'd rather get the stuff out there and my definition of of failure, I think, is different than a lot of other people's. I think failure for a lot of people, they look at it and think, I didn't accomplish the task, right? Like I didn't get this done or achieve this benchmark or achieve this result. I look at failure as I didn't even try. Like I had this idea floating around in my brain and I didn't even try it. Like how weak is that? And I, I think it's weak. I think it's pathetic. And I'm not judging people who don't do that stuff. That's just for me. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be pathetic. And so I've conditioned my brain to look at failure of not trying as the ultimate sin, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, in your entire movement, you've you've obviously created uh, a lot of momentum here and you've attracted a lot of interest from other guys to help you further this cause. Um, how did you get to the point or let me first ask you how many people are on your team and, and or are they on payroll because that's another thing I think a lot of people who want to create an impact think about is how do I how do I build an organization that actually can that I can monetize and then therefore pay people to do this yeah so I don't have anybody excuse me full-time right now I've got two people that I pay part part-time essentially for some administrative type work and clerical type stuff. Uh, most of what I do that, or most of what's done within the business that I don't personally do is outsourced. So although they're not on payroll, I pay them. For example, podcast editing. I pay somebody, send the audio files to him. He cleans them up, makes them sound (coughs) nice, gets them uploaded, sends it back to me. Boom. Sends me the invoice. There we go. So there's things like that. Uh, when it came to the book, design work. You know, I, I, I could take the time to design it, but I'm not a z- designer. So I'm going to hire that out. I've got a handful of people I work with who do great work. They, they do the work. They invoice me. I pay them. Uh, that, that stuff's really important. But essentially, you're going to have to do it all, right? You're going to have to be the, the CEO, the CFO, the janitor, the designer, the this, the that. And that's okay. Just as soon as you can start outsourcing the stuff that you recognize that A, you're not good at, that's number one, and B, that you shouldn't do it all. You might be good at it, but you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you you can get that stuff out of there. And I guess the third one is the things you don't like. You know, I love podcasting, but I don't like editing podcasts. Yeah. So I need to get rid of that so that I can podcast and not edit podcasts. What's, uh, if I could ask you specifically on the events that you've, you've, so tell the listeners real quick, the different events that you have set up. And and then I want to ask you a follow up question on that. So yeah, so our events, um, we do some meetups occasionally a couple times a year in different varying places throughout the U S and those are one to two day events where we get together and have lunch and have some breakout sessions, your traditional, uh, conference type thing that you think about. Uh, the other one that we do is called the order of man uprising, which is a three and a half day immersive experience in the mountains of Southern Utah. Uh, my goal is to make men who come anywhere from 20 to 28 guys at a time come. And essentially I want them to bleed, sweat and cry. (laughs) If I can, if I can do those three things, I feel like we've accomplished what we set out to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And then the third event that we're actually doing for the very first time in September is called Order of Man Legacy. So it's very similar to the uprising, the three and a half day experience, 
The difference is, is this is a father-son event. So this is essentially a rite of passage for fathers to be fathers and boys to develop and grow into young men and men. Um, let me ask you specifically because I'm uh, – first of all, I think that's phenomenal. I think that's a huge missing piece in our culture and our Western culture 100%. today. Um, do you have do you have space, if you will, uh, not physical space, but like intellectual space, strategic space for those non-warrior type boys, or is it going to be you know super competitive and stuff like that? Because uh, I thought about coming and then I'm like, well, I wonder if it would be something where I definitely want to cultivate the warrior in my son, but I also yeah. want him to understand that he's got other innate gifts too that are just as valuable that can be brought to the table too. And yeah, I'm sure. sure. I quite honestly, it leans heavily more towards what we've been talking about, the warrior archetype. Yeah. I mean, we'll be outside, we'll be camping, self-sufficiency, uh, there'll be some shooting, there'll be some activities, physical activities. I have really talked with my business partner on this stuff about wanting to incorporate more of an intellectual component of it. Um, but quite honestly, the reason I've decided to do it this way is because I don't think we get enough of it as it is. Yeah. I think the mo for the most part, a lot of us as men are, are domesticated, we're docile, we're living these sedentary lifestyles. And I have guys give me feedback because we ask for feedback at the end of these events and they'll say, oh man, I just needed a break here or more like downtime here. And I'm like, no, no, no. Thanks for the feedback. But that's exactly the opposite of what we're trying to create. You can take a rest when you're at home. You can take it easy and be complacent. In fact, that's what you do all day, every day. Uh, that's not what we do here. But that's not to say that we shouldn't add some level of intellectual uh, growth and activities and things like that, which we've certainly talked about incorporating. Well, I think I think there's total value in being who you are and bringing that to the table. And my God, it's absolutely needed. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se. And I think it's, you know, if that's your brand and if that's your special sauce, like all the more power to you. And like I said, I think both my son and I probably need some more of that. So I'm still interested. But sure. I just yeah. was curious on that note. Um, that's an interesting point. I will tell you, Peter, on this is that, um, a lot of people, if somebody's listening and they're trying to start an organization or a movement or something like that, and a lot of people probably are, is it's very easy to waffle and it's very easy to try to appease too broad of an audience. I can understand the temptation, but what I want people to know is when you do that, you water things down. So uh, it's it's interesting because people say, well, that's you're being too simplistic when I make a Facebook post. I know that's the point. <laughs> I want to be polarizing. I want to be so simplistic that you're like, no, I hate this or yes, I absolutely love this. Yeah. I don't the last thing I want is for somebody to be like, meh, I don't care about what that what that is. I want them to love it or despise it. Yeah. Uh that not only is that a marketing strategy, but that's just how you attract the people that you're trying to to attract yeah, and sure. be around. So don't be very cautious of watering your stuff down to appease too broad of an audience. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I definitely agree with that too, and I do think that is smart. <laughs> Uh, from a business standpoint, um, are you good on time? I want to be respectful of that. Yeah, okay. yeah, I, I I carved out an hour and a half, so I'm I'm good with whatever we need. Okay, cool. Uh, let's keep rolling then. Um, what what keeps you up at night? That's a good question. I mean, for really for me, it's it's my kids. You know, I I think a lot about their future. I think a lot about what they'll experience. I I the one that I think a lot about is. My oldest is 10 years old and I really only have maybe six more years with him. Right. 
you know, because by the time he's 16, he's going to have a job. He's going to be doing sports. He's going to be chasing <laughs> around girls and hanging out with his boys and like he's gone. You know what I mean? So I really only have six years. And the thing that worries me more than anything is have I adequately equipped my sons and my daughter with the tools and the information and the wisdom and the experience to go out and be able to handle anything that life throws at them. That to me, you know, it'd be easy for me to say, Oh, I want to be, I want to grow the business and all that. And I certainly do. But that to me is, has always been, and will always be on my mind. Even I'm sure long after my kids are all out of the house, those are the types of things that I worry about and consume my time and attention with. Well, on a, on a more practical level, like, do you speak to your sons at all about, you know, sort of what stage they're in or what they should be thinking about right now? Um, obviously in your order of band, you talk about the three principles of protect, provide, and preside. Um, is that in your mind, is that uniform across the entire masculine experience from boyhood to manhood or are there certain 100%. things, is there, which I agree it is too, but are there things that you're teaching your sons right now that would be, you know, specific to that age and, and, Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. Let me give you an example of that. So, so my oldest 10 years old. What we do is we create rites of passage. Uh, rites of passage. So when they turn eight, so I've only had one that's turned eight. My my second son turns eight uh, the end of this year in December. Uh, we go on a, a mini uh, experience, a, a rite of passage, if you will, where we go out. They pack their own stuff. They talk about what food they want, what activities. We go in. They do a series of events and little trials that they have to go through. I get them a knife. They have to create their own shelter, make their own camp. Their fire, all that stuff, and then that, and then at the end, they earn a little twenty-two rifle that my my oldest son has because he he's earned that, um, and and we we do that every two years when they turn eight years old. So that being said, the first talk that they get at eight years old is the protect, provide, preside talk. So my son, for example, he knows that his job as a young man turning into, or excuse me, a, a boy turning into a young man turning into a man is to protect, provide, and preside. Now, he's not going to go out and get a job and provide income to the household. That's not his requirement now. But one of the ways, for example, that he might be able to protect is that if he sees uh, a bully picking on a kid at school, it's his job to ensure that doesn't happen. It's his job to ensure – it's my job to ensure that he's equipped with the tools and resources and guidance to be able to protect in that situation. His job is to provide for himself in as much as he wants little extra toys and little extra things. That's not my responsibility to get him those things. He needs to go mow the lawn. He needs to mow the neighbor's lawn and he needs to go out and solicit the other neighbor's lawn. And so that's what he does. He goes out and he mows lawns and they pay him and that's how he earns his stuff. So yeah, I mean we're having these conversations it, it, and even into manhood. A lot of people say, well, not everybody's a protector. That's, that's not true. Not everybody's a provider. Not everybody wants to be a warrior. Well, yes, okay, I agree with that. But there's there's nothing that says that you can't be a – and I'll use the traditional one that people always like to say is an artist. Like It's like somehow if you're an artist, that doesn't make you a man. Well, that's not true at all. Yeah. The way that we go about fulfilling those responsibilities of protect, provide, preside might be different. But the the end result is all the same. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm – Short short answer, yes, I'm teaching my boys those things. There's a, uh, there's a really great um, book. I forget exactly what the name of it is, but it's by Alison Armstrong. Who's, she's a relationships person. She talks a lot about 
um, the stages of masculinity, which uh, I'll have to find the name of the book and give it to yeah, you. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I haven't heard of her. It talks about um, the page stage, which is the young boy, and then the knight, the prince, and the king. And oh, that's so cool. I've let my son know that he's in the page stage right now, and uh, I sort of made up that right now he's to observe and to serve. You know, look, mm. look around, like you're picking up, you're learning things right now. And I told him, like, your next stage is the knighthood stage. Look at other knights. What's working? What's not working? What do you want to emulate? What do you want to avoid? We pulled up uh, to a, a red light a few weeks ago, and uh, it was some, you know, teenage boys, and they kind of revved their engine or whatever, and then they just peeled off and, you know, kind of uh, took off down the Always road. Always be, yeah. Yeah, and so I said, you know, I, I looked at him, and I'm like, you know, are those knights? And he's like, yep, those are knights. I'm like, is that something you, you know, what, what is your thought on it? Well, it could be dangerous. Well, all right, so, like, we're having that conversation of observing and serving, and then I'm, I've been on his case lately for serving. Where, where do you, where can you see that you can help out? Where can you see that you mm. can um, help somebody else? I think that kind of fits in the protection thing, too. We talk about. How old is he? He's 10. Yeah, same age. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. I think that that <laughs> art of a father and a mother too talking to their children is just it's a lost art yeah you know it's like let their kids go veg out on the tv or the ipad forever and and they never give their kids the conversations that are and, and these don't have to be profound conversations right it's a little two minute conversation about the the young kids who are peeling out right next to you one example i had is i i went into a a local shop here in town to get my bow. I've got into archery over the past several months and I went in to get my bow serviced and the guy was a total jerk. He, he flat out said that he didn't want to help us because I didn't buy my bow there at his store. I bought it somewhere else and then I was having it brought in there to get serviced and he flat out really, really arrogantly just said, I'm not going to do somebody else's where you should have bought it here. And I, and you know what? I was like, all right. My son was with me. He was with me in the store and watched this guy behave, this grown man behave like a child to say the least. And we got into the car and I said, what do you think about that experience? My son's like, he was a jerk. I said, yeah, I, I agree with that. What else? Yeah. And he's like, well, he should have he helped. And I said, why, why should he have? And, and I took both angles. Like he's not required to. He's certainly, he's certainly able to turn me away if that's what he chooses to do. And, and it's, we took our business elsewhere and that's fine. Uh, but there's a lot of like little learning lessons that came from a very small two minute, three minute encounter. If we as fathers and mothers who are listening just took those moments to pause, like hit the timeout button and say, well, good teaching opportunity. What lesson can I extract here that I can impart and give to my child? I think the world would be a better place. hundred percent. I think that to me speaks to the preside part of your message. Uh, the protect and the provide is, is I think fairly uh easily understood sure. the presiding sure. part talk a little bit more about the presiding what does that mean to you preside is synonymous with leadership you know and it's and it's not a position of arrogance and i'm above you or anything like that i think it'd be very easy in your in your story that you were telling me about with with the prince and the king to look and think oh i've i've made it right like i'm above everybody else and they're my servants and and they are subject to me and my will right. and i certainly see men who behave like that yeah uh, that's not presiding. That's not leading in true manliness. And that's not the way that I think we ought to do it. I think when you do reach that level of leadership, whether it's leadership in your home or in your community, maybe you've been assigned or tasked with a project at work. Maybe there's some sort of ecclesiastical service that you are wanting to perform or, 
whatever, whatever that leadership looks like that we have an obligation to serve. You talked about that earlier is, is leaders serve. We are not, excuse me, let me back up. They are not subservient to us. We are subservient to them. So I look at the guys that I'm working uh, within order of man, and I look at the guys in the Iron Council. They are not my servants. They're not required to be there. I am their servant. I voluntarily put myself in this position, and I am there to serve them. Mm-hmm. And I think when a human being takes that, that lesson and that idea and that notion of I'm not above others, I'm here to serve – they continue to elevate themselves as leaders and then, of course, lift up the entire team. That could be the family, the community, the neighborhood, the state, the country, the, the organization, <laughs> business. That's how we lead. That's how we preside. Ah, I love that. Um, that that kind of speaks to those different stages of the Page, Knight, Prince, King. The thing that de- delineates between the two, Page obviously is a young boy. The Knight stage is really all about taking action, finding out what you're made of, um, mm. going and accomplishing things. Uh, making money, dates, you know, uh, all of those things where it's about, you know, finding out what you're made of. Um, sure. The, the prince stage really is when you start to shift mentally to, you know what, I've achieved this, I've achieved this, I've achieved this. There's still a void there. What am I missing? Oh, I'm not in service. So mm. prince stage is really when you start to look at how can I serve others? Night right. stage is really about yourself. And then the king stage is really once you've been battle tested, uh, and you've gotten to that point where you have a clear kingdom, which is a, a vision that has manifested itself in service of others for greater good. Um, but you've been battle tested to the point where nothing that you'll ever face again is as uh, difficult as, to, as what you've already faced. Mm. So, you know, you're, you're really in that maybe late stage prince phase right now where you have a very clear kingdom. You have a very clear audience that you're serving. You have a clear message. It's in service of others. I mean, hell, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're already in that king phase. There's there's other, you know, there's a lot more uh, details to it. But uh, I just wanted to extrapolate that out for those that... Uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm really anxious to read that book. It sounds like a really interesting uh, premise. It's fascinating. I, I learned about it. Uh, I lost you again. Are you there? <coughs> you there? Hello? You back? Test, test, test. All right, here we go. I'm back. All right. Uh, Sorry, man. My internet's been weird the last couple of days. No worries. We'll splice it. Uh, I was going to say that I learned uh, about those at a Tony Robbins event out in Maui a few years ago. It was all focused on relationships. And, dude, he went through these different phases, and and, uh, it was one of the most powerful and uh, moving lectures I've ever experienced. And to the point where at the end of it, where he was really talking about the king and, and the pain that it takes to go through it, and frankly, for the women in their lives, the queen in his life, to endure all of that with him. I mean, you you have a queen that I'm sure you guys are dealing behind the scenes stuff with the business and the growth and the rescue taking and the children and you're not here and this and that. Like all of that unsaid, unseen stuff is happening behind the scenes that really helps develop A, the king and the queen. But by the time he got to that point in the lecture where he was talking about the kings, he said, now, who in the audience are kings? And, you know, there's probably eight or nine men in the room that stood up. And you just I just had such a reverence for uh, the sweat and the blood that goes into building 
um, what these guys have built, and it is a uniquely masculine thing. That's not to you know, it's not just again, it's not to say that women can't build amazing, great things. Many have, um, but there's a unique path in the building of it that I think is uniquely masculine that was worthy of honoring that I just connected to me on a much, much deeper level. So seeing you create what you're creating is, is very inspiring. And obviously, you know, I, we're on the same page that it's a, a needed thing. Yeah, I appreciate we'll, it, man. I really do. Yeah, for sure. But I'll, I'll get you that book because it is, uh, yeah, I'm interested. It's, I, I'm actually a just, um, uh, secured a podcast with her as well. So I'm going to, Oh, cool. Yeah. And I would even say without reading the book, I mean, you're probably at different stages and different elements of your life too, right? You know, like one thing I've just taken up is uh, jujitsu, which I've never done in the past. Um, I I can't walk in there with, with the arrogance of, of a king or a, you know, a a prince or whatever it may be. I've got to understand that in this specific area, I'm a page, I'm here to learn, I'm here to grow, I'm here to develop, I'm here to serve. Mm I'll move into that night stage. So yeah, I could see how it definitely apply in different areas of your life. It almost compartmentalize where you are in specific areas too. Well, she talks about it in terms of psychological development. So, Mm. you know, it explains how you can see 50 year old men with their hat on backwards, you know, hitting on the 20 year old waitress Hmm. and, you know, puffing his chest to his friends. You're like, dude, you're still in that night stage where you're trying to, you know, right. That's a good point. Interesting. So it's, it's really the psychological development. Um, and really he ended that whole conversation, which is something that really has stuck with me ever since. and, And you've echoed it here already, which is that men are not born, men are made, they're developed. And there is a clear, uh, calling I think for men to step into and, and a certain path for them to take in order for them to achieve their potential their you know fulfill their their you know I would I would say uh, moral obligation as men um, well I mean it's the re- what in the last three weeks we saw this kid well I say kid he's not a kid he's, he's behaving like a child but uh, it's a 30 year old man who's who sued his parents because oh my God, I saw that. He, he they're evicting him like they needed to evict him in the first place number one. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's just really, it's pathetic. You know, this is a 30 year old man of, of, of mature age, I will say. And yet he's behaving like a boy, like my, my seven year old would yep. it's, and probably even worse, maybe like my two year old would. Yeah. It's, it's just absolutely crazy. I think masculinity and manliness have less to do with age and more to do with your maturity, yeah. right. And the way that you stand up in your family, your business, your community. Yeah. So I, I can see the premise of that book being powerful. Along the same lines too is this whole incel thing. Are you familiar with the – Oh, yeah. Oh, incel, MGTO, like I'm familiar with a lot of these movements. Yeah. So uh, um, for those that aren't aware, I guess the, the one um, terrorist attack in uh, Canada was the guy that took a van and ran into a bunch of people. And he considered himself an incel, which is short for involuntary celibate. <laughs> In other words, you can't get a date. You can't have sex right. with her. I'm like, Which he can. He just doesn't want to exert himself exactly. to be able to do that. Oh, it's pathetic. I saw a video <laughs> That's the thing. Week. He thinks it, it, it's a victim mentality. Yes. It's that the world is against me. I've been dealt an unfair hand. And because I've been dealt this hand, it's not my fault that I'm pathetic. It's everybody else's fault. And in this particular case, I'm going to blame women for for the – the, the lack of results in my life when it's not that at all. There's some circumstances outside your control. You know, maybe I, I think of one and I think, man, I'm lucky <laughs> to be born in the U S <laughs> that, that to me is, 
is a, a pretty lucky thing that I didn't have control over. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky to be raised by my mother. Like that's something I didn't have control over. Other people have disease and illness that they need to battle and that they don't a lot of, a lot of times they don't have the ability to control that stuff. But there's always enough within your control that the results that you're experiencing in your life are your fault. <laughs> they are. Well, which they, which they is actually an uplifting message and here's why because if it's your fault it's your power to change if it's not your fault if it is truly outside of you you are a victim and there's nothing you can do about it so taking ownership taking responsibility letting it be your fault is actually a calling to you to say yes i have the power to change this yeah Um, and that's the other thing too is there are skills uh there is direction there's so much information out there to help young men and, and grown men, frankly, um, become better men that there really is no excuse anymore. I mean, there's so much information out there. Yeah. What more can I say? That's That's exactly right. Like there, there is no reason that you shouldn't be experiencing results in your life. And if you're not, Create some results in your life. What do you get, think get of, after? What do you think of uh, just all the recent shootings lately by you know teenage boys? That goes back to what I was talking about earlier. You know, we, uh, fatherless homes I think is a huge underlying issue and something that seems to be a common thread. I think there's that. Uh, I think there's a lot of confidence issues, but again, I think that could potentially come back to fatherless homes. Uh, I think there's a lot of victim mentality in society in general. And these types of people have been probably coddled and told it's okay and didn't have to face and experience consequences of their choices. I think there's a lack of compassion and empathy in these people's lives. Uh, I also think that there's a huge, uh, prescription drug epidemic in this country that needs to be addressed. Um, I'm not going to get on the gun control thing cause that's a whole other conversation. I think that is the tool that's being used, but I think that's, uh, a very small part of the actual underlying problem. I think the real problem is a lack of honorable men in society. They're teaching our boys how to handle adversity. And Lord knows we all handle adversity. Even at 15, man, I know what I've gone through at the age of 15. Life's going to get harder, no doubt. But at 15, you've gone through some trials, man. Like that that's just life. Yeah. And if there's nobody to teach you how to do that and then you start medicating these these boys and these children uh, and, and you start training them not to express themselves. And again, this comes back to – some people say, well, that's toxic masculinity. No, no, no. It's undeveloped masculine energy. Right. It's okay to be angry, right. right? Like I've been angry. You've been angry. Yep. And, and even violence in some situations is okay. It's acceptable. It's probably recommended. I've been violent in my life. Yeah. Uh, it's just teaching these boys how to use it in a manner that's appropriate for the situation. Yeah. The, They're the, just not the, getting it. It's the sad. Metaphor that, the metaphor that came to me the other day was fire. <clears throat> men are fire. We have a flame within us. As a boy, it's a small flame, but all of a sudden you hit puberty and that and the testosterone kicks and all that and all of a sudden you're throwing gasoline onto that flame and there is there's fire there. Now fire can be good, fire can be constructive, fire can be a hundred percent necessary for the replenishment of, you know, a forest. Or fire can be freaking wild and dangerous and crazy destructive. And it's this energy within to me that's a a helpful metaphor to help, especially women and and especially mothers to understand. You're not going to – well, you can extinguish the flame, but it's it's an emasculated – you're not going to have a developed 
man ultimately ever because you you just you, you distinguish the thing about him that makes him who he is so that right. is one that is one option and i think we see a lot of that you know you, you're familiar with the book no more mr nice guy that to yeah. me is the nice guy it's the flame the nice guy is the is the guy with a good heart but the flame is dis, is is extinguished i think it's a distinguished extinguished <laughs> right so uh so that's one path but then the other path is you know shooting up schools that to me right. is, is wildfire and right. what we need to get back to is men who understand the fire within and how do we do controlled burns? How do we yeah. use fire to fight fire? How do we use fire to replenish and to and to create a better society? Totally. I mean it's the same thing. You take a tool – even a tool like uh, I don't, like a hammer for example. You know, let's say let's say you have this new apprentice come in and he's le- learning the construction trade and he comes in and he takes a screw and he puts it into the piece of wood and he starts hammering that screw with a hammer. And the contractor says, oh, you're doing that wrong. Give me that hammer. You can never use that hammer again. <laughs> and he throws the hammer away and says, go ahead, keep building the home. And now the guy doesn't have the hammer simply because he was using it wrong. Yeah. What if instead we said, oh, well, you're doing it wrong. You need a screwdriver. Here you go. Or a drill. Here you go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to your hammer. You put it in your belt right now. And when you use this, that's when you use the hammer. Right? That's when you use the tool. That's what – and and uh, Stephen Mansfield talks about this. I, I I think you're familiar with Stephen Mansfield, right? Yeah, I interviewed him. He's on my. Podcast. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. yeah, great, great man. And he talks about this. And and John Eldridge, author of Wild at Heart, talks about this too. Is that masculinity is bestowed. You have to earn it, and it has to be passed on through other men who have gone before. Mm-hmm. And these school shooters, and these terrorists aren't getting that lesson they're not learning those lessons and that masculinity is not being bestowed upon them mm-hmm. for sure i know we are getting a little bit short on time i want to ask you uh one final question how do you want to be remembered i was thinking about this the other day and one of the exercises that i've done and i encourage people to do is to to write their eulogy you know how will people remember you this comes back to that conscious thought that we have and the ability that that we have to change ourselves and be aware of ourselves in space and time and and you're asking me to project myself into the future right and this exercise of writing your own eulogy is really 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 powerful um for me i want to be remembered as somebody who if he had an idea he was willing to try it it's really as simple as that if i i feel like if i've got an idea in my brain i believe that we are divinely inspired. That's my personal belief. If somebody else believes differently, that's fine. But I think all of us have intelligence and intuition and random flashes of inspiration. Uh, It's been put there for a reason. You made that connection. It's either been put into you through some higher power, which is what I believe, or you've made some connection that previously hadn't been made. There's a reason that that's there. And for me, if I, I feel ashamed if I don't, try that thing it's it's a slap in in my belief to the to my creator's face if i don't do anything with that and so i i always want to be remembered by the people that i spent time with and know me that you know what like he didn't always get it right and he failed on some of these things miserably but man he was never afraid to to try those things I that's that's that, legacy i'm gonna leave well that's a that's a a simple but powerful profound response you know millions of downloads on the podcast events book, you know, successful family, uh, you're leaving a mark. I think, you know, you're, you're swinging the sledgehammer, you're leaving a dent in the world. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to speak with you, uh, honored to be a part of the, 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 your cause, 
Um, you know, I'm learning a lot from you every single day. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. I think that there's more work to be done, of course. But, Absolutely. Um, thanks again for your time today, man. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. All right. You too, brother. Have a good one.